We'll be looking this morning at a passage of scripture in the book of James that will partly answer that question, how then shall we live? How then shall we as Christians live in the midst of distress, difficult days, trials, and adversity? And uh, there is one thing that is needed in times of difficulty and adversity, and it is the word of truth. What we need most in these days of trials in our lives is the word of truth. Truth is the roadmap. It's the roadmap through the valley of the decisions we make. Sometimes we don't know what the truth is, but we want to know what it is. Other times we know the truth, but don't want to hear it. And that's because our circumstances, they often lie to us. And our emotions can't be trusted. Jesus is called the Word. But he also refers to himself as the truth. He is the personification of the Word of truth that is spoken about in our text. Jesus said in John 8, If you abide or dwell in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's why truth is so essential to have, to know, when we're going through uncertain times. One of the distinctives of a disciple of Christ, in other words, is that they love God's word. His word gives us an opportunity to gain an appropriate and adequate view of God, as well as to be able to see our circumstances from heaven's eyes. The word of truth, the truth of God, the truth of God's word, is what can lead us through the difficult times in our life. We know that many of the people in the Bible that we've read about, they are people who have gone through adversity and trials, persecution, suffering. David pleaded to the Lord several times in the scriptures, in his Psalms in particular. Listen to his plea to the Lord. Lead me in your truth and teach me For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Psalm 43. Send out your light and your truth. Let it lead me. You see, these are prayers. They're pleas from a person who's going through very difficult times. And David knew that he needed the light and the truth of God's word to guide his actions, to guard his thoughts, and to temper his emotions. And when we pray for truth, when we pray to the Lord, the scriptures say, and the Lord will be near. He will hear. David promised in Psalm 145. That's why he could plead to the Lord with confidence. The Lord is near to all. Who call on him to all who call on him in truth. 
when we cry out to the Lord and it doesn't seem like he's hurt us because we're still going through the trial, he has hurt us. That's the truth. When we feel abandoned and uncared for, the scriptures remind us that the Father of lights is always near to us, always. And he will guide us through our darkest night. Now James, the author of this incredible epistle, gives to us proven truth. Truth that has proven to be true. Truth that has made a definite impact in James' life as well as others throughout the Bible. He has told us that our trials are given to test our faith. These trials are intended by God to increase our faith and produce a greater capacity to hold up, to persevere under pressure when we go through our trials. That's how we grow. He grows our faith and our perseverance so that when the next trial comes, you know how to persevere. So in other words, James has said earlier in this book to count out all joy when you encounter various trials. They are coming. They come, they go, hopefully. But each test is to enable us to face the next one with greater strength, with greater hope, with greater faith. He does this to produce in us spiritual maturity. God is committed to our growth. He is doing this so that we won't lack anything, as James has said. You won't lack anything when you encounter your next trial or you're going through a present trial. And when we are under fire, we are to pray, James has said, pray for wisdom from God. And he will answer. He will answer with generosity. He will not hesitate to give to us the wisdom we need. So when we are to pray, when we're to go through these difficult times in our lives, don't doubt God's infinite holiness, his goodness. Sadly, we can easily be deceived into thinking God has done us wrong. We may be deceived into thinking that God is tempting us to sin, says James. But quite the contrary. He has told us that it is our desires that lead us into sins. And these sins give birth to death. The things that produce death in our life. Actually, if we could perceive all our lives correctly, we would realize that God is infinitely good. Therefore, if any, there's anything good in our lives, it came from him. Because God is infinitely good. Without God's goodness on this earth, we would be trapped in a dark nuclear winter of death and destruction. But those who persevere by faith 
are promised to receive the crown of life. That's the motivation. That's the kind of motivation we need to live the rest of our lives for the glory of God. Therefore, we may not be able to change our difficult trials and situations and circumstances. But James is saying we can change our attitude. We can change our attitudes while going through these difficult times. Count it all joy, for example. One of my dear friends, you've heard of him before, Chuck Swindoll. He wrote about attitudes and how important they were. Listen to this. Attitude. Attitude is more important than facts, the past, education, money, circumstances, failures, successes, what others think or say or do. It is more important than appearance, giftedness, or skill. It will make or break a company, a church, a home. The remarkable thing is we have a choice every day regarding the attitude we embrace for that day. We cannot change our past that people will act in a certain way. We cannot change the inevitable. The only thing we can do is play on one string. The one string we have, and that is our attitude. Life is 10% what happens to me and 90% how I react to it. As it so as so it is with you, we are in charge of our attitudes. Paul or Peter is appealing to us in this letter that no matter what we are going through, we can change and shape and form our attitudes in them. We can change from being bitter to joyful. Arrogance to humility. Resistance to receptance. Ungrateful to grateful. Negative to positive. Caustic to affirmative. Judgmental to gracious. Critical to encouraging. And sincere to sincerity. But the choice between bitterness... And joyfulness is our choice to make. So when pressures build up in our lives, it's likely time for an attitude check. Maybe an attitude change. James now urges Christians to receive the word of truth. I love that phrase. The word of truth is God's word. It's Christ. So that our attitudes can be changed going through our trials to bring about joy. Here's what he said we need to know. For attitude changes, we need to remember this. Know this. My beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, Slow to anger. Why? 
For the anger of men does not produce or give birth to the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away, take off, shed all filthiness and rampant wickedness or evil. And receive with meekness the implanted word. His reference is to the word of truth. Which is able to save your souls. Before we are able to receive the word of truth that we need in times of trial. The first thing he says is to know you must be quick to hear. If we are going to receive the word of God, we need to prepare ourselves to be quick to hear. What does James mean by that? He means that we need to be carefully attentive, incline our ear to receive, and ready to welcome the word of God, what he has to say to us. We need to welcome the truth of God's word and not be content to hear superficial answers of methods from men that offers simple, immediate solutions to impossible situations. There's no real program that can get you through your adversity. But God's word can. The Bible never lies or deceives. It only tells us the truth, even if it is painful to hear. If you want to look wise, what does the Bible say? Be quiet. I'm trying to look wise. Or you can do as many do. Pretend you're listening. And nod your head once in a while. And kind of give a clue that you're interested and you agree with what's being said. You know, like some of you are right now. And Proverbs 17, 28 makes this very astute observation. No pun intended. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he's deemed intelligent. If you want to look intelligent, listen. Be quick to listen. Silence is so rare today. You think about that. We're so busy. We've been bombarded by a culture filled with the noise of harsh political rhetoric. And uh, reverberating beat of music is pounding in our ears. We're drowning in information, but we are starved. We are thirsty for wisdom and truth. It's almost impossible today for me, I don't know about you, to find anyone who has anything worth listening to. Unless... It's from the word of God. So we are desperately in need today of a word from God. Jesus called out in Mark 4. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Be quick to hear. 
And he said to them, Pray, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use it, that is the truth or the word, it will be measured to you and still more will be added to you. The more you learn, the more you hear, the more will be added to understanding. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even that, he, what he has will be taken from him. If we don't listen to what God has to say today, there's no guarantee that you can expect to hear him tomorrow. On a practical level, listening is, I think, one of the greatest expressions of love and care. Even respect. Sometimes we don't actually listen. Sometimes we don't even listen to God's word when it's read or preached. I know that. I used, once in a while I used to sit in the pew a few times in my life. Instead, we are consumed thinking about ourselves, our problems, our situations. Or we're rationalizing away what is being said. Like, I don't believe that. I don't think that's quite right. I have my own view. I, heard, I read another book. See, we're, we're not engaged many times with what's being said whether it be in church or on a personal level or in a marriage. So one way to become a good listener, especially when you're in the midst of conflict resolution, is this. Ask good questions. When someone has poured out their heart to us, it helps to ask clarifying questions or repeat what you just heard. So that they know they have been heard and you have understand, you have understanding of what they feel and what they think. Arguments in the home, workplace, church. They can't be resolved until both parties have patiently heard and clearly understood each other. Most of the conflict comes from Not understanding the problem, not understanding what each other are saying. Hopefully, when there is understanding, you can begin to resolve the conflict between one or more parties. For example, if you're trying to share your faith with someone, let's say at the workplace or wherever you might be, First, ask them questions to show that you're interested in them and that you respect their opinion, even if you completely disagree with what they're saying. That's because people won't listen to us until they know how much we care by how we listen to what matters most to them. Many of us are too quick to speak. We should be confident enough in the sovereignty of God to hear the objections to our faith. Ask questions. Ponder that with them. Ask them questions. Here's what I find out. A lot of times people don't really know what they're saying. 
You know what I'm saying? They've got their rehearsed things that they sort of, okay, no, I don't believe in the Bible. I don't, okay, but that if you ask further questions, they don't have much to support that. Listen to them. Ask them questions. And then ask one question is, would it be possible after I've heard you, could I have a moment to share what I believe? They say no. Say, I, I appreciate that you shared with me. As a Christian, I'll be praying for you. If you ever want me to share with you, I will. Notice that we're not frightened by the opposition. We're quick to hear. Then we can be quick to speak. Uh, This is just a little activity I do. I I don't know if this is a, a recommendation at all for you, but I do this when I go to a restaurant and I'm waiting for the waitress to bring in the food. I try to guess whether the people, the couple sitting next to me are married or not. And uh, this is what I found. If there is no conversation going on between a man and a woman who are each staring at their iPhones, you can bet they're old married folks. However, if the woman is talking and it looks like the man is listening so intently to every word she has, you can bet that's their first date. (laughs) You see, I practice that a lot. I've watched that. So I'm an expert at that. Matter of fact, that's why I don't even look at myself when I'm sitting there eating. You know, like, uh uh-oh, I need to be engaged in listening to my wife. Um, As it relates to God's word, if we love the truth, we should be listening intently because we realize it, it is God's way of speaking to us directly from heaven. It is wise to listen carefully what the scriptures say before you make a life-changing decision. Don't make a life decision that's dramatic or change or going to affect other people until you have prayed about it and you have studied God's word. That's what the word of truth is for. And fight off the urge in trials, to reject God's word because you don't like what it says about you or about something you shouldn't do or something you should do. When we come to church, one of the highest forms of worship is to listen carefully to God's word when it's being read, when it's being preached, And when it is being passed out to us. So if we are quick to listen. Then we are also to be what? Slow to speak. That means when someone is speaking. We aren't rehearsing in our minds. What we want to say next. Or to be quick to interrupt them. To dominate or change the conversation. Those who are quick to speak. 
sadly, are often slow to think before they speak. Listen to the wisdom of these Proverbs. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Be slow to speak. That includes not nagging. Not nagging others with a constant barrage of criticism, instruction, and advice. Nagging disheartens and it shuts down the communication line. If nagging continues, it inevitably results in a war of words. Therefore, those who are slow to hear and quick to speak, they find themselves embroiled in relational meltdowns, and they wonder why. Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than him. Boy, the Proverbs just kind of, they don't soften it. They're just direct, aren't they? This would include being quick to wrongfully accuse God of evil motivations, for even allowing the trials to come into our life. Listen to God's word. And don't blame him for all of our problems. Jesus spoke these words. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account. This is really hard. For every careless word they spoke. For by your words, you will be justified. Your words will be a testimony to whether or not we have been saved or not. And by your words, you will be condemned. I tell you, if we had sat at the feet of Jesus to hear his teaching, you would find that he is so direct. He goes right to the heart of our problems. Goes right to the heart of the sin that we have to deal with. Listen to God's word and don't blame him. I'm not up here to defend God. He doesn't need me to do that. But before you accuse him, look and listen to the word of truth. Now here's the question we have to ask ourselves here this morning. Is God's word, the word of truth, really authoritative in my life for faith and practice? That's what it comes down to. Are you going to rely on your emotions? On the wisdom of man? Or are you going to let the word of God be authoritative in your life? If it is true that the word of God is authoritative, it will influence our attitudes and reactions in our trials. We won't react quickly to accuse God. Some Christians in James' day, they were angry with God. They were bitter. 
They were angry with God for their trials and their troubles. Their anger was sort of a a long, subtle, settled emotion against God. And they let the roots of bitterness grow deep and spread over time until their anger strangled out their faith. The Bible warns us not to come to worship with prolonged bitterness, resentment, and anger in our hearts towards God or anyone. If we are angry with God or anyone else, we need to repent of that sin before we come to the sacrifice of praise and worship, especially as we come to the table this morning. Be quick to hear the word of God and slow to react to the truth of the word or slow to say what maybe shouldn't be said to others. James gives us another exhortation. Wow, if we could get this one, it would help take care of, prevent so many situations where there's hurt and confusion. And it is this, be slow to anger. You see, it's a warning. Not to react quickly in an argument until you are under control. In the case of a Christian, until you're under the control of the Holy Spirit. Immediately reacting to someone or something with indignation or an explosion of emotion or harsh words of anger, they're non-productive and they're destructive. Anger doesn't add light to the situation. It only increases the heat of the discussion. That's why Proverbs 14 says, Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. And those who have a quick temper, they say things sometimes that they regret. If you have a hair trigger anger problem, it might be well to consider how could I react or respond with a gentle answer? This is one that grabbed me a number of years ago for, as being a pastor. Because there were times that I wanted to react. To what somebody accused me of or what somebody has said or the disappointment they've been to me. And then I look at the scriptures here. It says, a soft or gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word, it stirs up anger. So my reaction to somebody else's words or actions, disappointments, I stir up anger when I react with a harsh word. If you're in business, you have employees and you have customers, you have to learn this. Wouldn't be bad to hang on a wall to remind ourselves of this. 
Here's why. James says, our wrath, our anger, won't produce the righteousness of God he intends to express through us. You see, any righteousness we have has been granted to us, imputed to us, by God. James in chapter 3 will say, now the fruit of righteousness, been declared righteous, there should be fruit, evidence of this righteousness, and it, this righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. In other words, if you have been declared righteous, there should be a fruit that spreads peace, not anger and strife. And the righteous we have, righteousness we have in Christ should be consistent with our words. The righteous who blurt out unrighteous words of anger and filth discredit the righteousness imputed by Christ. I'm going to say something, and I hope that you will um, understand. I heard something this week that just made me angry. (laughs) Somebody said about us, the church, I wish they had just closed the doors and burned the church down. You tell me if that's the fruit of righteousness. It is not. That's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a sin issue. And when people speak like that about the church that Christ loved, the people, you, that angers me. But I have to be slow to anger And try to come up with a gentle answer. That's hard. Fortunately those people were not in my office. But it angers me. It disappoints me. That people who say they are justified. Made righteous by the blood of Christ. Talk like that about Christ's church. Wow, excuse me for saying it, but you need to understand. That's when unrighteousness is speaking, not the righteousness of God. And somehow we need to be gracious, gentle, but that's hard. The word of truth works to produce in us new life, different than the things I've just mentioned. That's why we're exhorted to be quick to listen to God's word and slow to speak so that in our anger we don't sin against God and others. There are some are so determined to bring about revenge, vengeance, to get their way right, to win, to conquer. That's not what James is saying. That's not what our Lord Jesus taught. Our desires, however, produce sin to give, that gives birth to death. So be quick to listen to God's word and slow to speak so in our anger we don't sin against God or others. I'm going to stop here.
I'm going to try to look intelligent. Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. But I am going to try to prepare us to take the Lord's Supper. It's time. Had much more to say, but I think I was able to say what needed to be said as we come to the table. Just think of this for a moment. I had no righteousness of my own, but by the word of truth, the word of God, the gospel, it brought about new life in me. And the Holy Spirit used the word of God to bring regeneration, to bring new life. We come to this table to celebrate newness of life. Celebrate the righteousness, the perfect righteousness of Christ that's been placed upon us, even though we have no righteousness of our own. This is a place to celebrate. But as we prepare to take, listen to the word of God. Be slow to speak. And slow to anger. He's going to later go on and say, set aside all of the wickedness, the filthiness of our life, the defilement of our life. Set it aside. Which means repent. Repent of your sin. And the Lord will hear your prayer. And will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So as we prepare to come to the table. Just a few words of exhortation. First confess your sin to the Lord and repent. Of anything that you brought here. This morning by way of sin, filthiness. Or evil. And then take of the bread and the cup. With gratitude. For the righteousness Christ has given us. All those who have placed their faith in Christ alone. Believing in his death, burial and resurrection. You are welcome. You are invited to come to the Lord's table. And take the bread and the cup. But before you come. Examine yourself to even see if you are in Christ. If you are in Christ, confess your sins and then accept God's amazing grace. If you find that you are not in Christ, you're not assured of that, not confident of that. You've never repented of your sin and accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior then you are urged by the scriptures not to take this meal this morning. The Bible says this would be to eat and drink judgment on yourself. However, I have a better solution. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Then you and all of us are invited to come to this table Come to the middle aisle 
and depart either to the left or the right and go back to your place. Take the bread and the cup with you and hold it until all have been served. If you're unable this morning to come up front or you feel hesitant to do that, but you have dealt with this before the Lord, then just raise your hand like this and we have men who are prepared to bring the the elements to you, the bread and the cup. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your son's work on our behalf. Thanks for the truth. Thanks that the truth can set us free from condemnation. Set us free from the evil and the sin that would want to drag us down. Thanks for saving us from condemnation and giving us righteousness and eternal life. As your people come, Lord, may you speak to them by means of your spirit to convict if necessary and to comfort those who have come this morning with burdens, who come with uncertainty about their lives in the future. Minister to us as we prepare to take the bread and the cup. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.